Welcome to this edition of the IWI's CFITrainer.net podcast. Before we get started, we'd like to say thanks to those who've supported us in our endeavor to create CFI Trainer and this podcast. The podcast and CFITrainer.net are funded by DHS FEMA Fire Prevention and Safety Grants through the AFG, or Assistance to Firefighter, grant program. We're also supported by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. This month, we're grateful for the support of UL. Having working smoke alarms is critical to public safety. New technology is enabling alarms to be even more effective to better distinguish between smoke from cooking and that from a potentially life-threatening fire. Learn more about this new technology and how it's being incorporated into new editions of safety standards by visiting smokealarms.ul.org. Last month, we began an on-location visit to a fire investigation training event for over 200 students conducted by the California chapter of IAAI. In part one of our visit, we took you to the scene the day before the burn to learn about the plan, setup, the layout, and what the instructors expected to see after the burn. In this podcast episode, we're back for the second part of the training event, the second day, I should say, of the preparation for the training event, the actual burn and post-fire. Our interviews include a number of experts who were present at the training for different reasons, Dr. Vito Bobraskis, a pioneer in fire safety science, and the president of Fire Science and Technology Incorporated, discusses how scientists will be using the data from the training burns. Jim Brown of Forensic Fire Investigations talks about the use of drones in fire investigation. Mike O'Brien, former president of CCAI, explains some of the instrumentation used during the burn. And Faro Technologies explains their 3D laser technology and how it's being used in the burn and structure fires. And we check in with Scott Stevens, executive director of the IAAI, for his thoughts from the location. We'll also look at some of the intricacies of the burn characteristics in the context of weather evaluation of potential sources of ignition within the three-acre test burn area, the purpose of the backburns conducted by Cal Fire, and the indicators left behind that serve as teaching points for the students at the burn. Let's go back to our visit, recorded live in California. So we're back here at the uh, location for the burn. It's uh, 7.15 as always with this group. Things started a half hour earlier, 45 minutes earlier than uh, than planned. And uh, the noise you hear in the background is the drone warming up for this morning to take some shots in advance of the burn so that there can be comparison uh, later on today. Back again uh, with Dr. Barbaskis. Uh, thank you. Again, I, I I heard a lot about what you're doing, and and I've been uh, my company's been working doing things in fire investigation now for oh I think 20 some years, and everybody refers to all of your documentation and everything you've ever done, but I don't think we've ever met. So well, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Same here. So tell me about what it is that you're you're looking to do while you're here at the training. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the the big picture is is the following: the NWCG there first uh, edition of their guide was in 1978 and at that time they established eight indicators and then they had another edition in 06 and they established uh, 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 14 indicators and then it went back in the uh, uh, 2016 edition went back to 11. Uh, the issue is that as a scientist uh, a, any theory that 
I encounter, I need to see has it been validated. Because if it hasn't been validated, then uh, there's some very serious questions, should you be using it? So, the, with regards to the indicators, the, um, the first uh, uh, validation paper was authored, the lead author, there are many authors, but the lead author was a guy named Albert Simeone. And two years ago, they did a very nice piece of work. Uh, but surprisingly, that was the first paper where somebody said, okay, NWCG has these indicators. Let us take some fires where we know what happened because they're fires that we set their training fires or experimental fires. And then let's go see what do the indicators register and how does that uh, uh, compare to the teaching that we get from NWCG. And so they published that, uh, that paper and it was a landmark because it was the, the first one ever. Well, you know, we, uh, it's a very good thing that they did that, but obviously one is not exactly a large number. So uh, we would like to see if we can do this as a second exercise to, uh, with the same objective, see if we can validate or to what extent we can validate which NWCG indicators and I feel if that exercise is successful, that'll be valuable to the profession and it'll be then a important and useful benchmark publication. Thank you very much. So I'm here with Jim Brown. My company is Forensic Fire Investigations uh, in Southern California. Uh, I've been in the fire service for 47 years. So tell me about this interest or focus. It seems like you've got quite a expertise in the drone world. Yeah, it's it's really uh, the technology has been fabulous for us, and it literally puts a uh, a photographic platform in any location that you want uh, for fire investigation, uh, fire scene reconstruction, the like. It, it's so important for us to have the ability to get several different views at higher levels, uh, even at a 10 foot level. I latched onto this technology pretty early on and I've watched it grow to the point where we now have great optics in the air. Uh, we've got great vehicles that get us in the air, long flight times, and uh, it should be in every toolbox for every fire investigator. Well, it's about 8.30 a.m. The safety briefing has ended. Greg Liddicott and Terry Taylor are out working another field. Um, actually, this plot was one we didn't go to yesterday, but it's actually up against some of the other buildings that are in the area. And they're going to uh, burn that out. Really, is uh, mostly from what I understand is a safety measure just to create a break uh, in front of the, the buildings that they want to protect. So they're going to do that in advance. There's... Uh, three engines, I think, coming in from CAL FIRE that are going to be monitoring things here today. So who am I with? Uh, I'm Mike O'Brien. I'm an ex-president of CCAI and part of the group work crew for since 2001. So what are you doing now? Uh, we're going to put a thermocouple tree out in the middle of the wildland burn uh, just to see if we can pick up temperatures from ground to about eight foot up. Uh, we're set up a medium brush and uh, 
depending on what the wind does, we'll see how well the thermocouples uh, can pick up and register the heat. And that's not really typical to put thermocouples out in these. No, um, they've done that up in uh, Montana, the, the fire uh, management agency up there, but they were doing it in forest and that. I've never seen tests done in a uh, light brush. Great. More and more data. <laughs> more and more data. Print it out and turn out the graphs. Thought I'd talk to you guys. I've got Greg and Terry with me as well as Dr. Babraskis. And uh, tell me about what's going on. Some changes happened in the weather and what's what's new? <laughs> so basically uh, yesterday's weather, which was overcast and fog to start the day, uh, it's gone. Um, we have basically a, lo a low pressure system kind of sitting over us here. Beautiful clear skies, sun is out. So that means that the high humidity on the fuels should evaporate within the next couple of hours and we should be able to have good running fires. Uh, the wind prediction was what, Greg? Uh, I can't remember. I think they said nine to, nine to something out of the northwest. I'm looking at the, what we call a spot weather report. We're gonna get an act, uh, an actual prediction just for this particular spot. And I saw them setting up a weather station, so that's local here. That, yeah, yes. we're going to do our own weather station here, but the weather service also can give us a, a prediction just for this general area right here. So for other chapters doing a burn, that's something good for them to well, know. Yeah, they, need to, they need to get together yeah. with their local federal partner and or state partner and ask for a spot weather report for that day of their burn. Good to know. And oftentimes your fire dispatch center can do that. Your regional center that involves the multiple agencies, uh, they have a direct line to uh, the weather service and they just get coordinates and say this area, this is what it's going to be. Um, so then we're going we're gonna to put some objects out here uh, to show some burn patterns. I put some cans, I put some rocks. Uh, we're going to put some fireworks out here so that during the course of the fire, some things will go pop and bang a little bit. Um, and then we'll figure out here what we're going to use to start this. Uh, we're going to start it. All, all of our plots this time are what we call roadside starts. So somewhere within the roadside, which is where many of the fires occur, uh, is where the ignition point will be. And the fireworks, while they're fun, um, they're there for a reason. What's that? Well, basically, they're going to leave evidence of their being there. And so what we're what we've consistently taught in Nevada and what we should be teaching everywhere is just because you find something doesn't mean that's it. And so uh, we want you to keep going uh, when you come to a fire like this. So this thing will be about three acres if it burns wall to wall. Um, and so there'll be objects out there and the vegetation itself that will show fire movement as well as objects like this that would be a source of ignition. And so if the patterns don't bring you back to, let's say the firework you discover in the middle, um, then guess what? It's out of the picture and keep working. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Dr. has just walked over. They're putting up the weather vane. It had sort of an angle to it. And uh, with his direction, the weather station is now directly up and down. Make sure the readings are uh, right on the mark. So as I said, I was going to go looking for the folks from Ferro Technologies and uh, find out a little bit how they're helping out with the California Association of Arson Investigators burns that are going on here. Uh, which one of you guys want to tell me a little bit about what's going on? Okay, so what we're looking to do here, uh, my name is Dan Turpelli, I'm with Ferro Technologies. Um, what we're going to do is we're 
Faro um, sells 3D laser scanners um, that also do not only create point clouds and take laser image data, it also does photographs with this. And it does it 360 degrees horizontally and 320 degrees vertically. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the documentation prior to the burns occurring for the buildings and then we're going to do post so we can show the difference in that and show burn patterns, that type of information that's uh, associated with it. Interesting. Have, have you, can you talk about one situation where you worked with a, an investigation? Actually, he'd be able to do that. Um, yeah, there's been a couple of them where um, I worked on a case that was, um, we originally believed that it was an arson case. It was a structure fire that uh, looked like it was probably as a result of uh, insurance claim uh, fraud. And as we started looking at it um, and all the initial um, reviews of this were that it was a solid arson case um, where there was a lot of fuel that had been uh, natural fuel that had been ignited from um, uh, just fall leaves and that kind of stuff that had never been really collected. Um, but as we started looking at things from the 3D perspective, we started seeing things that didn't make any sense. And we actually traced the fire back um, to the neighbor's yard where he had been collecting leaves. <laughs> and then um, putting them in a fire pit and then he left that unattended. And then that fire and the embers that came out of that leaped through and went along the structure. So we actually saw uh, radiant heat damage to the siding of that structure, um, some smoke and radiant damage to some additional structures that were close by. And then um, where it got in between the two fences, um, there was um, railroad ties with a lot of uh, tar and pitch on those that added to the intensity of the fire. We were also able to look at um, a neighbor's house that was not involved, but the, the rear siding, the vinyl siding actually melted on that. And then there's char patterns on the children's swing set that was actually also never directly affected by fire, but strictly by heat. So we're able to do heat uh, determinations for, um, you know, how, how basically how much the fire raged, and then also looking at char patterns um, for uh, being able to understand how the fire progressed. And this went from being an arson case into being a negligent uh, uh, burn case. Very interesting. Sounds like a great use of technology. So. Um, it sounds like you were doing something that was a combination of the structure and the outside. Are you doing both object and scene-based VR? Or, or how does that work? Does it get stitched? How's your technology work? Yeah, so what it captures is everything is captured in the infrared uh, spectrum. So we're color lighting and color photographs and things that you would only capture in the ability of color. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you can't see. Um, there was another case that we had worked on where a homeowner had actually um, had a faulty outlet and it had sparked and smoked up in the room rather than fix it. He just uh, painted over it and when new renters came in, um, there was a fire that was also in there, but it affected the wall on the opposite side that was tied into the same wiring for that socket. Um, when we started scanning in there, we were actually able to see um, the smoke damage and, and charring through the paint. Um, through the infrared spectrum. So um, he did a crappy job of painting and the infrared actually exposed uh, what was going on there. So essentially what's happening is the scanner's capturing everything in 3D. 
um, and then uh, we're capturing the images and we can do it in high dynamic range as well so um, anywhere where you've got extreme light and extreme dark we can actually allow the data to view in the software exactly the same way you would see it with the human eye then you take all that data once it's been put together from all these different scan perspectives you can walk around in the scene using vr as you mentioned uh, using oculus rift or some of the other different manufacturers that are out there of vr so you can go back into the scene at any point in time and the beautiful thing where this comes in as far as arson investigators is the number one cause for um, cancer and a lot of firefighters is being exposed to the carcinogens with the amount of time that you have to spend on the scene with our scanner you can actually remotely control it so your amount of time spent in the scene is incredibly small um, you can verify everything on your computer prior to leaving because it directly um, goes into your computer processes everything so you see your entire project before you break down and leave the scene to make sure you have all of your evidence while minimizing the time in and then the most important thing of course is the analysis work so once we've got everything put together and we've got all of our evidence collected um, we can go into what's called ferrozone 3d and we are the only company that has all of the nfpa uh, symbols in a single um, software entity where you can bring all of your data directly in it does does not have to be converted into any other type of data format where you don't have any issues or loss of conversion. And another really important thing with all this data is it's actually digitally encrypted or digitally hashed inside of the scanner. So where chain of custody comes into play and being able to testify to the accuracy and validity of the data, it can absolutely be traced back to the source date and time. Well, the smell of fire has begun, but it's not from one of the uh, fires that's going to be set for the classes. It's actually uh, some backburns that are being done. I'm going to see if we can talk to the chief a little bit about how they're being used. No problem. So my first question for now was just uh, what you're doing setting the smaller fires down there along the tree line. Okay, so uh, with the predominant wind, the way that it uh, works out here, um, we're basically trying to create what we call a catcher's mitt. So we put a black line in that area, which creates a, a buffer zone so that if we do get head fire going towards uh, all those eucalyptus trees and things that we don't want to burn, uh, it should hit the black and go out. That's the uh, tactics behind it. Thank you. Sure. And your name again is? Eric Shalhoub, uh, Battalion Chief for CAL FIRE. Thanks, Chief. We'll be back. So the day is wearing on here, but I just uh, walked up on Scott Stevens, who's the executive director of the IAAI, and I thought I'd check in with Scott. He's uh, been pretty happy about what he's seeing. How you doing, Scott? Fantastic. It's uh, been a wonderful experience. I want to thank the California chapter for inviting us out here today. There was a lot that went into this with regard to planning and execution. Um, pulled it off, very safety-oriented uh, event. Three major fires that were uh, well controlled and a lot of data points were captured. It's amazing that we get to stand here. I mean, and we're looking out across the field and there's flames licking 15, 20, 25 feet up into the air. <laughs> it's it like- It's all. I mean, it's, you can feel the heat. It's just, it's unbelievable. And it's about 75 yards away from us and it's mostly a backfire that's being used by Cal Fire to, uh, you know, stop any more progress of, of the burn and everything so far has been going like clockwork. That's, that's correct. I mean, they're just doing a phenomenal job out here. 
Cal Fire and then the California chapter as well. And we've got representatives from other chapters around the country as, as well that are here helping out facilitating. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you, Rod. It's Terry Taylor and Greg Lidicott. <laughs> and I'm just a little too excited too, but I know they're real excited because I'm looking across a field where it looks like, uh, I don't know, after warfare, it's uh, it was a pretty intense fire. So, tell me, what'd you see, Greg? I saw some awesome fire here. It just was uh, amazing to see it burn, and it burned the way we thought it was going to burn. And uh, looking out at the what's out there right now, I'm, I'm seeing indicators, macro indicators, which is exactly what we're we're hoping for. So I can't wait to actually walk out there and see what our micro indicators look like, our, our little stuff, the rocks and the bottles and stuff like that. I think it's going to be a little hard to wait get you to wait till it's cool yeah, exactly i'm going to be walking out there shortly it's uh it's almost cool enough now to get out there and, and walk through the middle of it we've got a heck of a breeze there i know the wind was reporting it sounded pretty low to me but i think people can probably hear it i know we're 10 to 12 14 miles an hour yes i believe uh, we're probably pushing about at least 10 right now um and during the middle of the fire there we we're we we're same thing it's been a pretty consistent breeze through here so it was nice to push as far the just exactly the way we wanted it to go so terry how about you what are, what are you thinking well i'm looking at uh we've we put a lot of different items out here that would record uh the directional burning we've got a really outstanding forceful burning forward movement we've got great angles of burning we've got back burning we've got freeze we've got leaf drop we've got just about everything you could possibly get out of the indicators we're going to be teaching the students and uh, so this we put a lot of energy into setting this up and this looks like it couldn't really get any better you know i i've gone to a lot of these training pieces or a lot of these training seminars and this one has you know is one of the ones where there's more uh, instrumentation more variables uh more players i mean we've got three, four drones up in the air, thermocouples out there, multiple cameras that are on the ground. It's uh, pretty intense. Well, it's very intense and we're, we're basically trying to push the science out so we can record the behavior of the fire. Um, as Dr. Babrowskis has pointed out, there's uh, a lack of scientific study of the burn patterns that we've been teaching. And so we're hoping that we're able to validate it. Yeah, I I think Dr. Babraskis is over there. He's pretty excited. He's got the camera in his hand. I, I would imagine a towel isn't far by <laughs> far behind. <laughs> it should be good. He should be pretty happy. We are we all got pretty heated up during that. All right, guys, we'll be back. All right, I'm walking up on Mr. Tom Fee, past president at IWI. And I think he's starting to really think the day was a success, huh? Yes, I think so far. These wildland instructors did a great job. They've got their plots set out for the students to come in. So there's going to be some great training out here. That's what we're doing it all for. Everybody's pretty psyched. I heard you say some numbers. You've already got over 200 people coming in, huh? Yeah, we're probably pushing 250 right now. Leave it to you, Tom. Thank well, you. Thank you. Appreciate you being here with us, Rod. Glad to be here. So I'm walking back to Dr. Bobroskis again, and well, the burn that is uh, mostly 
has been set up for him has been completed. I'm just wondering what you're thinking. I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to have a good outcome, that there's going to be a class on um, Tuesday that is uh, given this field to investigate, and I think we have enough of a uh, good understanding of what happened. It was had enough regularity to it that we're going to be able to have a good outcome of the training class. It's beautiful. I, I know a lot of people are excited about what you're going to relate, write related to this. And I, and I sit here as I'm talking to people and we're watching flames that out on the distance are probably 15, 20 feet high. It's amazing. It's like, uh, it's like a war zone. Well, the, uh, the research objective that's associated with this is to take a look at the National Wildlife Coordina Wildland Fire Coordinating Group uh, indicators and WCG indicators and to see how well we can validate them in a realistic test scenario and I think that's going to work well. I'm glad to hear that and again we're all grateful for your work. Thank you very much doctor. Thank you. We thank all of the experts and instructors who gave us their time during the burn event to help take you inside what is needed for a wildfire training of this magnitude and how it impacts both research and professional development. We appreciate the invitation from the California Conference of Arson Investigators to join them for this event. During the last podcast, we promised a part three. We promised to share some footage from before, during, and after the fire from San Luis Obispo. We edited two pieces. There is a link on this podcast page. Let us know what you think. By the way, we read all of your feedback and appreciate the time each of you takes to check in with us. Thanks again, and please spread the word to your peers about the podcast. We have some great things coming this year at CFITrainer.net, and we're grateful again to have received a grant from the FEMA Fire Prevention and Safety Grants Program. Thanks for joining us today on this podcast. Stay safe. We'll see you next time on CFITrainer.net. For the IWI and CFITrainer.net, I'm Rod Ammon.